Hello, and welcome to Resident Advisors Exchange. I'm Chloe Lula, the producer of this show. This week, we welcome Hector Oaks, featuring my conversation with him that took place live at AVA Festival in Belfast last week. Hector has seen a meteoric rise in the last few years, and since relocating to Berlin from his hometown in Madrid, his career has skyrocketed. He told me that when his gigs were still slow, at three or four a month, he was out in the city's clubs every weekend, calling them his quote-unquote university. He started working at the now-defunct Record Loft, a vinyl shop that was once the largest purveyor of secondhand vinyl in Berlin. Hector has since garnered a reputation for his deep and eclectic taste as a vinyl-only DJ. He pulls from the recesses of rave culture, mixing retro throwbacks with contemporary, sleek techno. He's now also a resident of Herensana and Tbilisi's techno institution Bassiani. And in addition to being one of today's most in-demand DJs, he's a prolific producer and the label head of his two imprints, Chaos and Oaks. What makes him especially interesting as an interview subject, though, isn't his popularity per se, but the ethos that drives his interest in collecting and DJing. Well, for me, punk is more an attitude than a style of music. And it's a sort of going against the establishment or the rules that are uh, set up. And I think that actually that when I thought about it for the first time and I felt really identified with that, it was because I thought that techno was way more punk than punk music itself. Because at the end, punk people were drinking beers in a bar till 1 a.m. and going on back home, you know? And yeah, the techno people, we were in a basement for a whole weekend. And, and I thought, wow, the real punk is here. You know, these people are like so outside of the of the establishment of the norm that, you know, the, the people don't even notice them, you know? In our exchange, we launch into an interesting conversation about what happens to the punk ethos around the underground once the underground becomes mainstream. Hector is an interesting case in point as he navigates bigger and bigger events. We also talked about the art of vinyl DJing, his favorite parties to play, and his forthcoming album and live show, the details of which will come at Sonar this weekend and soon thereafter. Thanks for joining me. Without further ado, here is Hector Oaks. Pleasure to be here. On Instagram, you recently posted about a video for a project called SOSG, which seems very different from your typical output. It features two Spanish rappers, El Pequeño and Ergo Pro. Yeah. Uh, can you talk a little bit about this project? Yeah, okay. So, first of all, I'd like to say that uh, I'm very interested. Also, I'm very interested in all kinds of music. So, I guess that and hip hop and Techno music are somehow related, in my opinion. And for me, it was sort of a natural thing to combine them. So, yeah, they were my favorite rappers, and I just tried to collaborate with them. I brought them to Berlin, and yeah, it was the first time that they were in a Berlin club. Of course, they go in Spain to other parties and so, so they know techno music very well. But it was their first experience in Berlin. And I was closing her on sauna, by the way, that day. And they arrived in the morning, and yeah, I brought them to the club. And they, of course, the first time you go to Berlin, they are 
very excited and like everything is like to the max so you can imagine and yeah after that we were two days in the studio and we made that song that is the first track of an album that will come later in december that features also other artists singers and so yeah uh, because my intention with it was like now the techno is sort of in a very high point maybe how can how could we uh, arrive to more people you know like to make techno what hip-hop already did in the past that is going from underground music to a broader spectrum of people and maybe make it possible like i don't know i think that there is no techno producer with a grammy you know mm -hmm. so the i mean moving in the production like moving it into that direction let's say you know yeah, no, I think it's really interesting what you're doing because there haven't been so many producers, to my knowledge, who have explored this territory between rap and techno. Arg comes to mind and like Black Cane, but it, yeah, it's a really original project. So I'm excited to hear the, the whole album. <laughs> Thank you. So it seems like going out to clubs has been really influential in your career. I mean, you just talked about going to Heron Sauna, but it's really played a large role in your evolution as a DJ and your approach to music making. How would you characterize how Berlin nightlife specifically has shaped your career? Well, I think that it shaped it 95%, maybe. Because when I moved to Berlin, I moved there. I, th I always talk about Berlin as a sort of university for me. So, I went. I was going every weekend to clubs, to the best clubs in the world, to see the best DJs in the world, playing the longest sets. So I learned a lot there. Also in Berlin, we have not only the clubs, we have record stores where you can find all the music of the history of electronic music, and it's there. You just have to find it, you know. And I think that also really shaped um, my style as a DJ and the production thing came along, I guess. So, speaking of records, not too long into your relationship with, with Berlin, you started working at the Record Loft, which is now closed, but you've described it as, quote, the best shop in electronic music. How did you start working there, and what about it was the best, or is the best to you? Uh, well, I used to go there every week, so I just got to know the owner of the shop. And I remember, I mean, it was my dream to work there. So I was spending a lot of time there. And I remember this day I was just listening to records and I was playing at Inbergain that weekend. And the, I mean, I knew the owner, everyone working there. And they just asked me if I wanted to be part of the team. And I said, yes. Cool. Uh, how long were you working there? I think three years, maybe. Back then I wasn't also playing that much, so maybe I was having four gigs per month or so. So it was perfect because during the week, or maybe three gigs even. So during the week I would go there, I would get enough money to be able to uh, make a living out of just the music, you know? And yeah, it was such an amazing experience because all the best DJs were going there to dig. Also all, everyone working there were like, great music nerds which i love and they we were exchanging music all the time i remember some very nice stories for example i met nina 
uh, when she was there going to gig to dig and uh, the shop would close and we would spend just hours digging there. She digging and me digging too, you know. And no, that's really cool. I think that's, I only really have an acquaintance with digital DJing and I miss out on opportunities to really like share knowledge about music with people who are like all digging together. That's such a unique experience that comes with playing vinyl. Where are you shopping now that the record loft is closed? Uh, well, I shop a lot in Hardworks because they have the latest records there. And I love audio in. It's very cool for secondhand stuff. Uh, and I try to go to secondhand stores all around the world. Wherever I go, I ask which one is the cool record store, and I just go there. I mean, are you uh, when you're traveling around? Are you like stopping at record shops or? Not really? Yeah, I love to do it. Yeah, I always ask. Yeah. Is there anywhere where the record shopping is the best? In Spain, they are amazing. Yeah. In Madrid and Barcelona, there are very, very good record stores. I think that uh, there were a, like there are not so many people looking for the records, and there were a lot of DJs, like especially for secondhand records. I'm talking, yeah, it's you can find all the styles of music, and they are yeah. I after the record loft, I think that the best place to dig could be Spain now. Well, because you left Madrid, how how long ago now? Uh, ten years. Okay, I mean, how has the scene changed? Incredibly. When I left there, there was almost no techno music at all. And nowadays, it's insane in Spain. Like, the clubs are overfull, like sold out always. And the, the younger generation are going for it. I'm also very excited about something. I have a couple of cousins that are 16, 18, and they go, they are, I mean, they love to go to a hip hop underground concert to uh, uh, maybe to see a concert of reggaeton and then they go to the techno club and they are the same people, you know? So I feel that the barrier of the styles of music is like going, is burning, you know? That at the end, uh, I think that this is all a sort of dance music or music made with the same machines and that I understand them all as one, you know, so I'm very happy to see that now these people are liking them all without judging each other, because I grew up in a way that if you like techno, you could only like 133 BPM techno, and even if not, you you were out, and now it's like everyone likes everything, and I think that it's a great way for the scene to grow in general, you know? Yeah, when I moved to Berlin, it was very, there was like the Bergheim style of techno, and that was techno, and uh it's changed a lot in the last few years, and it's cool because, like, the scene's exploding. Yeah. Do you still think Berlin's the place to be then for if you want to be in dance music, or would you consider going back to Spain? Mm. I think that if you want to start your career, maybe one of the best places to be. But now, you know, the thing that I was enjoying the most of Berlin was to be able to go to the clubs. And now I'm not so able because I'm somewhere else playing. That is what I wanted to do. And after COVID, I'm starting to enjoy a little bit more of the sun. So, yeah, I'm considering maybe at least in winter moving to Spain, maybe to Madrid. Yeah, because also Madrid now scene is popping, you know, and it's happening also that thing that uh, when you go out to the to see a techno artist, you meet 
the people of hip hop, the people who design clothes, you know, a bit like when I moved to Berlin, it was also a little bit like this, you know, like it was more underground and it was more like each other together. There weren't so many codes, you know, like or rules to follow. You joined the Herensana Collective as an early supporter, and I had the opportunity to interview Nicolas and Cham on a recent RA exchange, and they mentioned you as being a really early fan of theirs, and you came to all their parties before they even moved into their residency at Trezor. How were you first exposed to their events? Well, uh, this is a funny story. I don't know if they told you like this, but... Uh, so Herensana started as a group of friends who, I mean... They were uh, mostly going out on Sunday. So on Saturday, there was nothing so interesting to do. So they decided, let's make a party for friends. And for the first party that they made, uh, they booked Freddy K. And they asked him, who else you want to bring along to open? And he booked me. So I was the first DJ ever playing in Herranzona. And yeah, after that, I played the first time. And uh, I just loved the party, the vibe. It was also, the place was amazing. It was in Beltrams and it was like a basement, but really rough. Like, yeah, it was made out of pallets. Did you say pallets? Yeah. yeah. And yeah, I started going there. And uh, one day, Chem came to the record loft. I was working and he offered me to be a resident of Herranzona uh, when they moved to Tresor, yeah. I remember a while back you posted about Freddie K on Instagram saying he's the best final DJ, in your opinion. I mean, what about him is, is so good? Well, I remember, I mean, I was, I'm a friend of him since many years, since I moved to Berlin, almost, or before even I met him, I think, or I was talking with him on the internet. And yeah, he was the DJ that blew my mind for real for the first time, because, I mean, back then he was playing in homopathic, there was this party at about blank and he would be playing there for hours and hours like very long sets and sometimes back then the house floor was the one that was really full and sometimes he was playing maybe for 10 people in the room 15 people in the room and i always admired that he kept playing you know over a, like he didn't care like 12 hour sets 14 hour sets and yeah because we were friends i was always coming to see him play and just watching him playing with the records and yeah, he was the one that I first understood how he was mixing different kinds of music together as one, you know, like playing EBMs in pop, industrial music, ghetto house, with techno seamlessly, you know, like like if it was all one kind of music. And yeah, that really inspired me to play the music that I played today. Yeah, you hear that a lot in your sets, um, but it's interesting you were so inspired by him. I mean, as DJs, I would say that Elena Hoff and Freddie K are my big time influences for me. I'm also very happy because I managed like to get along well with them and I'm playing with Elena now a lot. Yeah, I actually am. Just continuing with Harrison a little bit, how does the crew continue to influence your music and your approach to DJing? Because you've been so connected to that crew now for so many years and they're definitely having like a moment right now. Yeah, actually, I have to say that I love to play with them when we do this Herrenzona XXL thing that is four people or yeah or three playing together or yeah, a long set. And uh, it's very interesting to see how we feed back each other, sort of, you know, because we don't do this that often, but whenever we go to play together, I mean, maybe it's the Herrenzona XXL thing is maybe three times a year or so. 
And after that, it's really inspiring to see how everyone is developing and how everyone is influencing each other in different ways and sort of feedbacking. Let's go. Yeah, Chem and Nicola said that they call themselves cats with balls and they're always passing this ball back and forth and just always influencing each other with music and art. And I think that's so cool because being a DJ can be a very isolating experience, I think. So it's nice to be part of a collective. Yeah. Yeah, Balsiani's, I mean, you've been a resident there also for a long time. I mean, as long as you've been a resident at Heronsana? More, more. Okay. Yeah, the scene in Georgia has really taken off. I mean, how have you seen it change since you started playing there? Yeah, I've seen it change a lot. Imagine the first time I was there, it was, there was no Bassiani yet. And actually the first party, maybe there were 200 people. And now the parties, there are like, for clubs with function one or with top sound systems that they got full every weekend. I think that also for them it has this sort of, it's a very social political thing because for them this is really the safe space to be, you know. And it's even, as I said, socially very important to have these spaces in Georgia or, or in places like, yeah. Is that what makes the energy there so special? Because that's also, kind of what sets Heronsana apart. It's like very kind of, I mean, they're not like openly political, but it is, it's a queer party that has a political dimension to it. It was, a, it was punk, you know, that that should be the real punk, you know? <laughs> I find the Heronsana aesthetic to be quite punk, especially how they think about visual design and their approach to aesthetic references and collage. And you have characteristically defined your style as punk. And it's really become your calling card as a DJ and in your presence online. And e even if you don't necessarily play a lot of punk music. So I'm curious if you could talk a little bit about what punk means to you. Well, for me, punk is more an attitude than a style of music. And it's a sort of going against the establishment or the rules that are uh, set up. And I think that actually that... When I thought about it for the first time and I felt really identified with that, it was because I thought that techno was way more punk than punk music itself because at the end punk people were drinking beers in a bar till 1 a.m. and going on back home, you know? And yeah, the techno people, we were in a basement for a whole weekend and, and I thought, wow, the real punk is here, you know? These people are like... So outside of the of the establishment of the norm, that you know, the, the people don't even notice them. You know. I mean, you mentioned earlier that electronic music techno is becoming a little bit more mainstream, and it's really like hitting a peak in terms of its overlap with like pop music and like a more general audience. Do you think that the ethos of punk can persist in techno, even if it's like shifting to accommodate? A wider audience. I think that, yeah, it's complicated with the underground music. It happened to punk music itself, also, no? When punk music became pop, it's because it reaches, I mean, how to stop it, you know? I, and also, when you see yourself on that situation that you have worked for the underground and then suddenly the underground becomes sort of pop. Uh, do you want to fight against it or you want to be part of it? Because also I think that 
we are carrying not only the music, we are carrying also the values. And that's the important thing. If we make the message spread, you know, like about uh, like integration of all kinds of like the ethos of techno music are really beautiful in my opinion. And the more they are spread and known by everyone, it can only be better, you know? Yeah, totally. I agree. I want to spend some time just talking about your approach to DJing. You've developed this very distinct musical style that we, we discussed a bit that fuses a lot of like fast contemporary techno with rave and a lot of throwbacks from the 80s. And to me, it seems like, like these different styles can stand in opposition to each other because on the one hand, you have like really contemporary music and then on the other, you have you know, some like gritty lo-fi, like vintage stuff. When you're mixing, how do you think about fitting everything together in a way that sounds cohesive? Well, I think that for this I can put an example. It's like, imagine that you ask to a chef to make a dish only with tomato, and he could only use tomato. So. I mean, he could be a great chef, but I think that also part of being a chef is to use all the ingredients and make your own dish, you know? So I think that DJs, in my head, uh, I mean, there there could be DJs that play one style of music that do it very good, and I could also enjoy them, but uh, I think that the figure of the DJ was meant to be to play music, not the styles, you know? Yeah, it reminds me of... I talked to Helena Hoff for a cover feature and she, she talked about building dynamics and building energy more than like building a set by genre and I can, I can see how that's also part of your approach. Yeah, I also think about the music. I mean, I want to get inside my set as many styles as I can, but they have to fit sort of mostly in energy and groove, you know, to keep the rhythm. But then I play also a lot with moods, let's say like changes of intensity and sort of feeling that the tracks give you, you know? Yeah, I also developed this like, I think that I have a fun inside of myself. And at the end, I think that I have to play for him, you know? And in this way is the way that I keep it alive and interesting and I always try to spice it up a little bit. So you're really interested in relics of rave music to a certain extent and you play some early trance and industrial and some punk. I mean, what what era of music has been the most interesting for you to unearth and to thread into your sets? Mm. I think every era has very interesting music and saying that one is more interesting than the other. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I'm rotating a lot, you know, like sometimes I'm very interested in the 90s, then I go to the 80s. Now I was very looking into the, the 2000s because it was the era that I studied less. But then now I'm very inspired by contemporary music again, especially other styles of music. Like I'm very... Uh, urban music that okay. like the mixture of urban music with electronic i find it also quite refreshing and something new actually you know well speaking of contemporary music i know you played this back to back with richie houghton 
last year. I don't know, was it just the one back-to-back or you've yeah. done multiple? We've just done one, that one. I found it kind of surprising given the fact that you seem almost like polar opposite in your aesthetic approaches. I associate Richie with this kind of like austere minimalism and, you know, you're really into this kind of more like freeform punk. Um, how did that collaboration begin and how was it to DJ with him? Well, yeah, that was amazing actually. Uh, so, Richie sort of got me to play on some of his shows and we become friends and one after one of the shows that we were playing not together but in the same lineup, uh, he told me one day we should do a back-to-back and I told him, yeah, I would do it but if you play with records. So, yeah, proceed. I think that sometimes, you know, although we seem very different, the opposite poles touch and I think that there are many things in common in some of uh, in the approach that we have towards the music although then the aesthetic is different like I think that both we put a lot of care on what we do and how we do it yeah. and that's I think something that attracted to Rich for me and actually when he played this set he also brought all the records from Canada and he, I mean, imagine, he didn't play any records after maybe 2005. So he was bringing all the music that he used to play back then as a DJ and was incredible, yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. I mean, he's very good. Like right now, I think he's in top shape also playing contemporary music. When he, he is, yeah. I've seen him play a couple times recently and he's still like really at the top of his game. Yeah, incredible to do it after so many years, in my opinion. And continuing talking about mixing, I know you've spoken about mixing with vocals in the past, and you gave an interview ahead of ADE last year, and you said, the job of a DJ is to send messages, especially as a way to communicate with people on the dance floor. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, I mean, there are like two two explanations for it. One is that when I love, uh, when I play for f- friends, uh, or, I mean, when I play at a club and there are friends, usually I have some tracks in common with the, my friends that I'm playing uh, that that are on the dance floor. And, you know, just the fact of playing a song that connects you to a friend makes such a crazy moment on the whole dance floor, you know, because if one person goes crazy. And the other one, I mean, it's that the... Music has vocals for a reason, no? And it's like to spread a message. But also in techno, the vocals can be relative and it's also sort of free interpretation. But it's, I like to approach DJing sometimes like a way of telling a story and to thrive between different emotions that everyone can relate to them. And I think that the vocals really help for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you play a mixture of, I mean, it seems like you play a lot of like Spanish vocals, obviously. What are some of the messages that you try to send with these tracks? Like, do you think about it in advance, like the story that you want to tell, or is it something that just kind of comes to you as you're playing? You know, I try to put many different kinds of messages, like, for example, swabbing from something that can sound a little bit harsh to love a love song, you know, to something sad, to something more stupid. Like, I love that combination of being very serious now and then, like, absurd. 
what are some of your favorite songs that you throw in when you really want to like send a particular message? Well, le, lately I love to play this one that is a Eurodance song the, that I used to love when I was maybe 16 or so. And it's a, it's a love song actually that says why, why lover, why, why do flowers die? And I think that everyone on the dance floor or many people have felt that moment in their life, you know, and it's like something that really you're on the dance floor and everyone feels connected in one way or another, you know, I'm enjoying that one not a lot. <laughs> so your DJ sets aside, you're also a very prolific producer. When did you start making music and developing that like in parallel with your DJ career? Uh, I actually, I started playing when I was 16 and making music when I was 18. So I started to DJ more because I was releasing music. And yeah, for a while when I was in Berlin working at the Record Love, I was producing all the time, like maybe starting one track a day, you know, I'm finishing almost, I mean, I still have a lot without finishing from back then, but so I was like, a machine doing tracks, 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 and yeah, now it's a bit harder and I like to do the tracks with a little bit more of purpose, you know, like I make a record, uh, I have a collaboration with someone, you know, so we meet at the studio, it's everything more planned and I have more the idea ahead before it was just like, okay, now today we do this, tomorrow that. And That's also kind of nice because it's like you're documenting your journey through music and what you're really into at the time and it's almost like using music making as like a like diary or something like that yeah it was really cool yeah cool. i actually started to make music just and i still do it sort of in a way like i like to uh, make the music that i want to play and if i miss a track that for example has a build-up and then changes the mood or and then has a big break or no break or all this stuff, if I need something, I will just make it. And that's my approach of making music. Well, or used to be for a while. Now I do also different things, but I like this DJ approach of making music a lot. Are you mostly working with like hardware, software, like combination? I use both, but I've made a lot of tracks just with Ableton, a lot. Nowadays I, yeah, but I, I have machines and I use them. But also I could do it without them. I think that you don't need machines to make music at all. Nowadays with the laptop, you are ready to go, yeah. I'm curious how you find time to make music because you're on the road seemingly constantly. <laughs> yeah, so what I do is uh, have it very programmed, you know? Like I will go this day to the studio, I will put it in the calendar, see if it was a gig and just go there and get the most out of it. Are you also working on stuff when you're on tour or is that really difficult for you? I mean, it's sort of difficult because if I bring records, I don't have a space for the laptop. So I'm always battling, shall I bring the laptop or 10 records more, you know? But lately I was trying to bring a little bit less records to bring the laptop, especially because I was working in the album. So now I finish it and like last month I didn't bring it with me although now I'm feeling like keep on making music non-stop so I think I will keep bringing it with me okay, Cool. you also have two other monikers Cadence C and DJ Chaos how are these projects different to the work you put out as Hector Oaks I personally really like the Cadence C project I mean I know you play kind of more like Thank darker you. acid -y stuff oh, which is like my vibe you know actually these projects 
uh, happened at the certain time in order, because first I was known as Sector Oaks and people expected something as Sector Oaks. So I made the second project that was Cadency in order to be able to play different music without caring about what people would expect or not. And then again, it happened with DJ Chaos 11. Uh, but nowadays what's ha happening is that I always end up uh, putting uh, the monikers inside of Hector Oaks. And now when I play a Hector Oaks, I use all the monikers together that I've ever made, you know? You also started a label, Oaks, which is now celebrating its five-year anniversary. And I think, did it start as a home just for your own music? Yeah, it started like that. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it went all over the place, I guess. Yeah, yeah. So you also release music just from like friends and colleagues and... Yeah, uh, I love to... Especially, I like to release music more to people that I I know in person, I appreciate. And if, I mean, I'm very interested in listening to music of people that I don't know, but at the end, I if... I like their music probably they will end up I will end up having a personal connection with them. I find it interesting that uh you're you've also used it to reissue music including some like industrial techno classics. I know I know you reissued Takaki Ito's Killing All Anarchists yeah. uh, which was a really cool decision. Yeah. yeah, I thought that if all that music is very hard to find and also it was only on vinyl back then, and I thought that it was the sound was very trendy. Uh, like, no, it wasn't trendy, but it would fit perfectly with today's aesthetic and energy. And I love to play that music, and I got the chance to re-release those records that for me are legendary, and and also like to show it to the supporters or the people who listen to music nowadays. I think it's uh, an important job of a label as well. Like to, because all the music that we are making now, it's also a consequence of what they were doing back then. Yeah, totally. It's a nice way to give a record another, like a new lease on life. Totally. Also, you can remaster them. And yeah. Do you have any other plans for the imprint? Yeah, well, we're not stopping. Like, in, we are dropping a new seri series in Chaos that is. Of course, contemporary techno, but it's very based on tribal techno music from the 2000s. There are a, a couple of records coming there from Pearl and Ruth, OC1. And, and yeah, of course, I'm very excited about my album because I've been working on it like for two years mm -hmm. and now it's ready to go. So, Congrats. So I do want to talk about the album, but I also want to talk about a live set that you're going to debut at Sonar, right? I mean, it's... Really good question because they are strictly related because okay. we are performing like uh, the album at the end of the show, you know. Okay, uh, so it's called Fuego Universal. Yeah. So what can you tell me about the album and the live set? Yeah, so as I was saying before, like the idea was to get techno music to a, a more friendly it's fairly not friendly because it's also not easy music but like something that could catch uh, the ear of anybody you know but keeping the techno code let's say and yeah sonar is always a place where to experiment and so i mean and the production of sonar is amazing so it's the place where we 
thought that was the best idea to introduce the album and you know we are bringing like some features to the show and like we have like a whole show programmed it's and it's very exciting for me also to do something completely different to what i've done you know you mentioned on instagram that you're not going to be alone during the performance so i assume you're going to have some performers with you yeah, rappers yeah, yeah. Or, producers, I mean, or is this a surprise uh, it should i mean the rubbers everyone expects that they are coming so as you can imagine they are coming but yeah more features of the album may appear also or all their pe like people that i release other music with them in the past and is this your first time playing live live yeah. i played one time before the same show but in a very raw early stage in state in sonar lisbon and last year for dry Molin, there was a stage hosted by heron sauna and chaman nicolas asked me to make a live and i started that was my first time doing live actually but that was me alone is there anything else that you're working on right now that you have plans for i mean not that you need anything else you have a lot going on <laughs> i mean i'm always like scheduling new records digging and for this project we're also like doing video clips and i mean the sonar show is something quite big because we are not only like doing the performance the music there is also lights there is video so i'm working behind all these stages of the process in order to get it ready and it's sort of challenging because it's now it feels more like it's not only on me it's like sort of a band you know and it's a very nice thing to do i think yeah. like i feel very excited uh, about it yeah. that's cool you seem to have a very collectivist approach towards music like you like to work with people yeah i mean i think that also after this time i'm a little bit on a position where i could sort of help or push other people that i feel that they could be relevant for the scene and that people would appreciate. So I think it's part of the duty of every artist also, no? It's very hard to do it alone by yourself. I, I don't know, maybe there's the possibility, but I think that collaborating is so inspiring. Also collaborating with people from other arts, even. Well, I wanted to kind of return to this quote that you gave to Playful Magazine a little while back. You said, I did not know I wanted to be a DJ until the day I went to Berghain. I decided that I'm going to do whatever I have to do to play there just once, and then I can live in peace. You've obviously played there, and then I know you made a similar comment about Sonar, that you wouldn't go until you played. I mean, it, it just seems that you're hitting a lot of milestones, maybe, that you hadn't anticipated. And I wonder if you were to listen back to this interview in a few years, what would you have hoped to have accomplished between now and then? Like, what are your next milestones? You know, I th I think that it's not good to talk about them because when you do, you are like putting them further away from you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I... We can just leave it like that, not, yeah. not jinx anything. But yeah, I want to close this interview with a reference to a track that you close most of your sets with, which I believe is called Player 3. Yeah, I also reissued on the label, by the way. Oh, you did? Yeah. Okay. okay, cool. So it has an acapella at the end that says, I won't compete in this competition because I have a greater mission. What does this line mean to you, and why do you close your sets with this? Yeah, well, it has a backstory, but actually the plain story would be more like, um, 
I'm doing my own thing uh, in which I believe. I think that music is also a way of helping people. And it's a way of reminding me and everyone that we should be ourselves and do and believe on the things that we believe and go for it, like without checking what others are doing or comparing yourself also, I guess. I think that can be hard in this day and age, but that's a really good message to send. Is there anything else you wanted to mention during this discussion? Or? Thank you all for being here. Yeah. And thank you for the interview. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for listening to this RA Exchange with Hector Oaks. Special thanks to Hector and Maria Robles for this conversation, as well as to the team at AVA Festival for facilitating it. In this episode, you heard Zess Canel's remix of Hector Oaks's track, Haroom Reclusion. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe to the RA Exchange and listen to our full archive of conversations on ra.co or on SoundCloud at ra-exchange. If you have ideas for guests you would like to hear on the podcast or stories you'd like to share, please send us an email at exchange at ra.co. We'd love to hear from you. Until next time, take care.